The material provided today is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered legal or financial advice. Consult with a financial professional for your own needs. John E. Sestina and Company disclaims any and all liability for the interpretation and use of the content provided today. I need help getting out of my student loan debt. I'm so worried. How am I going to afford taking care of my parents? When's a good time to get into the market? I'm really not sure when I should start taking my Social Security. I wonder if I have enough insurance. I wonder when I can retire. It's time to talk about your money, managing to be wealthy. Our team of fee-only financial planners is ready to help you create better financial habits, envision your long-term goals, and understand money management better than ever. Our resident hosts of John E. Sistina and Company are on deck to show you the way. Thank you for joining the Managing to be Wealthy podcast, where we bring the topics to help you do things better. I'm your host, Tracy Bennett. Joining me today are certified financial planners, Tony Payne and Craig Konstantinovich. Hey, guys. How's Hello. it going? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you, too. So Everybody's far, so staying good. warm. Yeah, it's great to be here with you. Tony's got a nice warm jacket. Right? I'm already freezing. Oh, my. Sorry. I'm getting ready for the big snow. You're never cold. Never cold. Yeah. Well, that's unusual. That's for sure. But today is not the case. <laughs> Uh, we're here to kind of get serious a little bit and talk about something that's uh, a buzz. Uh, housing market's been kind of insane over the last couple of years. Rents are high, mm-hmm. and so is the confusion. And never have I recalled a uh, a time where people are really more emotional and passionate about the subject um, to buy or not to buy. So today, let's try to dispel some of the bad information out there and provide some enlightenment and maybe even foster some excitement for those who want to throw their hat in the ring and buy a house. Mastering Your Home Buying Finances, a strategic guide for today's market. Sound a little bit more excited. Come on. This is the American dream. This is what yeah, people live their exactly. lives for, to find their homes. That's right. And but- we're not here to squash those dreams. We're just here to talk about it in a more sensical, more financially driven and motivated manner. And we're not realtors, of course. This is a part of uh, of what we do every day, answering questions, fielding people's, you know, genuine emotion and passion Mm -hmm. about wanting, you know, something more, you know, a foundation, stable foundation for their family, wanting to get out of the rental market. Uh, So we have these conversations quite often. So this is going to be a good conversation to have today. So what qualifies, Tony, as a good time to buy a good time for you or a good time in the market? It's a good question. We'll get to the market, I think, later. But, you know, we just went through record low mortgage rates um, and it was a bad time. You know, I'm putting my fingers up, bad time to buy because everyone was overpaying for the list price. Now interest rates are up and the buzz is that it's not a good time to buy. So you hear it all. And I would love to hear your take on this. So, well, that's where I was going with that one then because there's the market. But then there's you. The market, I hate to say it, almost doesn't matter sometimes because if you are having children, you need a house, you're going somewhere that you need the space, these are all reasons that you might have to buy your home. Then there's other reasons that might drive to say, you know what, I'm new in my career. I'm not sure in this city if this is where I'm going to end up or retire, where I want to be. There's a lot more, I think, in your personal market that's going to drive this decision rather than the bigger housing market or interest rates. Certainly they play into things, but if now's the time that your family's expanded, you need to get the kids in a school district, something like that, you probably are driven to purchase. So you're saying ditch the FOMO and really take a look at what your, your personal goals are. I think so. And it works both ways. I mean, the idea of, you know, will markets crash in Florida and I could buy that perfect place on the water 
or do I buy it now and have it and maybe pay a little more than what it might be in a year or two? I mean, that's what we talk about with people. And there really isn't a right answer sometimes aside from know the decision and why. And the why is really big. Mm -hmm. And if you can articulate the why, no, I'm not going to do this because I think you're going to feel better about the decision you're making. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those conversations where, Tony, to your point, a lot of young families, a lot of young professionals, you know, we're we're always told or it's always discussed with family members that, you know, hey, your first um, status move, if you will, is buying your home. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think, okay, I haven't really made it until I'm able to buy a home. So sometimes people over leverage themselves. They take out too big of a mortgage. Uh, They may buy too big of a house. They may buy a house too early. A home at the end of the day, as John's always told us, it it should be a place that you can afford and a place that you can live. Mm -hmm. But very much like a car, very much like all of the other things that we have out there, it all comes down to the right time is when you can afford it. Okay. We're going to get into the the sort of ticky-tack aspect of that. Let's talk about uh, how important it is to understand your financial health. Take a good hard look at what you can, like you just said, what you, what can you afford? So what, let's talk about the true cost of home ownership. I mean, we understand the concept of a mortgage, you know, a monthly payment. Um, but what about other costs? Let's kind of fill people in on some things that they should actually consider as they kind of jump off the board. Yeah. And uh, I know I've, I've been teased. I've been uh, poked and prodded here or there about how, you know, me being a home buyer and how frugal I was ahead of time and now kind of where things ended up. Um, but ultimately, the, the first thing that you have to understand is some of the ratios and some of the kind of rule of thumb, if you will, that are out there. So, again, just kind of starting off on the base level, how much house can you afford? Normally, it's about one and a half to two times your gross household income. So if you're bringing in $200,000 between both spouses, $400,000 is likely the top tier of your budget that you should be looking at. Um, then you start factoring in, like you had mentioned, what's the cost of home ownership? A lot of people just focus on the purchase price and, hey, here's what it costs me to move in, but they don't factor in things like how old's the furnace? When's that going to need to be replaced? How old's the roof? It's probably going to be need to be replaced at some point in time, and especially with insurance being what it is, maybe our dollar doesn't stretch as far to replace the roof. What home improvements do we need to do to make the house ours? What furniture needs to be bought? How frequent are we going to be changing our mind about uh, the color of the walls and and the paint and everything else? What's it going to cost us to have our yard maintained? What is 30 yards of mulch cost so we can keep our flower beds looking nice? These are all things that some people take for granted because they say, oh, well, I can take care of that myself. Then you have to factor in buying the equipment to do so. You know, what's your average Home Depot or Lowe's run on a regular basis? There's so many other things that start to go into it that people just take for granted because they say, hey, I I have the tools already or I know how to do it. I'm going to just take care of it. But when it does come down to the dollars and cents, you really have to evaluate just like you would any good investment. What all am I going to put into this? What is ultimately the amount that I'm going to get out of it? And that's going to help to guide you as far as what's the actual cost of home ownership. Yeah, if you're curious what other tips and tricks there are and how to basically leverage all the programs out there and get as much house as the bank will let you, that's not us. Mm-hmm. That's not this podcast. That's not what we're here to do. I'm surprised we've made it this long and we haven't brought up the phrase house poor yet. 
Because when you think about buying a house and a home buyer's guide, there's a lot of first time home buyer training things out there. There's a lot of hoops that they want to make you jump through. But to zoom out even further, not once, not so far have I seen someone really walking through. Are you saving enough for retirement? Before you walk mm-hmm. into how much house could you afford, how much mortgage payment, what kind of property taxes, are you even on track to be able to retire? We're going to get day? there. So that's a, that's one yeah. of the big parts here. So backtracking just a bit, um, that was a good springboard as far as telling people how to dictate the price, what to anticipate, what you can afford. But is it also based on how long you're willing to live in the in the structure? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, you're taking out a massive loan. Are you planning on leaving in five years or ten years, or yeah. or staying for the long haul yeah, for you, thirty years? Usually, the math on a thirty year mortgage is if you're not there five years. You're usually paying more in interest, closing costs, everything up front, Mm. where even if the house appreciates a little bit ever so slightly, you're going to lose on the deal. So sometimes when people are moving to a new area for work or something like that, the coaching or the questions of, do I buy my new place? Do I rent out my old place? What should Mm. I do? Mm. And we won't get into the renting yet, but the idea of how long am I going to be there really plays into the financing, whether it's a 15-year, an arm maybe, you know, all kinds of stuff. An arm. You can't just, we're not talking about this thing here. You're right. The adjustable rate mortgage. There you go. Yep. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about the benchmarks for helping people create a strong and consistent savings plan. I mean, obviously, there are some some obvious things, uh, but what do we kind of guide clients to do? In order to make that happen, I guess that would be to facilitate the purchase of the first home. Yeah. I mean, Tony touched on the first point here. You can't even really consider a house. You can't consider big purchases if you're not on track with some of your longer term goals. I mean, we talked about home ownership and I went through even a very brief laundry list of items, but that doesn't even account for, well, hey, it's cold outside. What if my pipes burst? What if that's not covered by insurance? you're going to put a lot of money into your home. It's a place where you spend a lot of quality time. So you have to have that sinking fund to say, okay, well, do I still have the means to be able to cover some of these expenses without going further into debt? So the first thing is make sure that you're on track for retirement and your longer term goals. The other piece is you also still have to have regular savings that you're able to build up because you don't want to go out and take out a second mortgage to do smaller projects around the house or maybe some uh, modest improvements here or there. But Tony, anything you'd add to that? No, again, we're as much as the bias, I think, from us, because we see it. People get house poor, they sacrifice, commit so much to this home, and then they have major capital improvements that are needed along the way. Mm -hmm. So you might hear someone say, oh, I bought my home for this and look at this appreciation. But what happens when they need to redo the kitchen or the floors or the driveway? Where does that cash come from? Is that borrowed at the new interest rate? That's where when you're really looking at it, this idea, and Craig, you kind of led with it of, you know, do you just follow the next pegs in life of get married, get, mm-hmm. you know, get a house, have kids, blah, blah, blah. You know, there I think are a lot times... of people do that. Yeah. Like, oh, especially, yeah. Especially people just starting out. They get they it's a it's a hive mindset. One person buys a house and all of a sudden I feel like I'm missing out. I'm going to buy a house and and many of them can't afford to do it. Yeah. We wonder why most Americans don't have a thousand dollars in their savings account. But mm-hmm. this goal of home ownership is this big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, again, it's about liquidity. 
I might have this house that I've mortgaged myself through the nose for, but can I afford the $2,000 for plane tickets to go somewhere when I need to meet family? Mm -hmm. A lot of people, unfortunately, are stuck with that boat anchor of a mortgage and a house around their neck that they can't go out and do these fun things. Mm -hmm. And that's where, again, we're probably swimming upstream here talking these ways to be mindful and not jump into homeownership too quick because there's no shortage of programs out there telling you, here's how to borrow from your 401k. Here's how to rob your IRA. Here's how to steal your future Ooh, to get scary. a house now. Yeah. I mean, they, these are the kinds of things where if we do have this unique perspective and we're not jumping into how do you get your mortgage or buy down the rate or points, et cetera, that's why. Because so many people, unfortunately, are house poor mm -hmm. that they're using all their focus and all these gimmicks on how do I get more house when probably there needs to be more focus on what else do you need to do aside from just buying a house? Well, think about it, though. You're in you're coming out of college. You're 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 you've got your first job. And I see this. I see this all around us. First job, uh, maybe even single, maybe not. You're coming up. How are you coming up with 20 percent down on a house when the the average house price home prices never been higher and salaries are sitting consistently you know how are the people supposed to do that i guess what logic prevails right side hustle you know so stop going out to restaurants throw the money in an account but how long is long enough to wait well and and right? you add to it too i mean student loan debt mm -hmm. is at its highest that it's ever been i know there's obviously forgiveness there's loan programs that are out there that do offer some favorable things you can go out and you can buy a home with less than a 20% down payment. There is, there's those loan programs that are out there. There's first time home buy, buyer tax credits that may be available in your area. There are some other factors that can help you get into your home for the first time. But, you know, as we're talking about here, it's make sure you don't become house poor. And part of that is going to be making sure that, okay, I do have a good grasp on where my expenses are. You know, if if I'm the type of person where I like to go out and be social and go to concerts, travel frequently, am I going to forgo those opportunities because I think that this house is that much more important to me? It's a top priority goal. Yeah. And it's if a that's, compromise that you make with yourself. Right? Exactly. And, and that's, you know, again, part of our job, part of our coaching, how we help people is we help them identify what's the priority and we start to outline and, and line item okay, if this is the goal and this is how you want to make sure that we're building your plan, it means we're going to have to cut back on our vacation trips and, and you know, the vacation budget. We're going to have to cut back on entertainment. You're going to have to be spending weekends taking care of the home, doing those home improvement projects. Maybe you can't and have, a, have a, a cache saved aside to do that. It's exactly. what costs money to, you know, you say, I want to buy a fixer upper. Well, you better have a pretty good sized pot of money you know, exactly. set aside outside of what you need for your normal life expressly for that purpose. Yeah. So and and, you know, there are again, there are loan options that are out there. But can I afford that monthly payment if I take on a loan? Is that going to diminish my ability to save for retirement? You know, we talked about rot, robbing from retirement accounts. So it, everyone thinks that it's this it's not a sense of entitlement. But I think a lot of Americans do kind of come from that standpoint of, Oh, that's the next big box. That's the next that. thing I have to check off. And when you start to take a step back and, and really assess it, is it even what I want? And a lot of times people are so indoctrinated that, hey, I, I've got to do this because it's what society has told me I need to do. Mm -hmm. But if you take a step back and it's, 
no, I do want to be the you know nomadic financial person. I do want to have very minimal footprints. Well, then a home is not anything that you should be considering. Yeah. Yeah. More and more the shift towards minimalism. I think more people are aware of that. But you look in the basement, and I again I visit people's homes. I see it. I know my parents' basement. You're picking on me. Oh, again. No, no, no. That's <laughs> right. I feel it. If you want to infer project, yeah. I've heard it all, Tony. But all the I'm not getting rid of my kids. Are I, I hear you, but that's what drives for a lot of people that need for space. Mm-hmm. And Greg, I think what we're talking about is more, and we see it. There's the shift towards activities, doing things, mm-hmm. not necessarily sitting there and having the home, which is wonderful. I mean, that is. And for some people, that's the driver and that's their their main focus. But for a lot of us, you know what? The home's the place I put my head at night. It's the place I log in. I watch TV a little and then I go back out and do my stuff. Mm-hmm. And if that's it and you realize, oh, geez, it's 10 years later and we've got these five bedrooms and there's the two of us. And we're living in and this area. And they're not decorated. Yeah. Three of the five are not decorated. Or perhaps they're, again, glorified storage room. Right. Mm. That's where the idea of waking up a little. And, again, we're, I know we're talking about home buying, but this to me is that full cycle. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you've bought your home, mm-hmm. what's next? Right. Is it the home that you want to retire in? Is it a placeholder to have the family? Mm-hmm. Or is it just, hey, it's what somebody said I should do? And we hope it's not that. Great points. Let's talk about condos versus home. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked about basically going with what you can afford to spend. uh, And we've talked about considering how long you're going to stay in the residence. But let's talk about the upfront costs of first purchasing a condo versus a a standalone home and some of the expenses people would have to deal with. Well, for some, again, I think it's a little cathartic or they imagine it to be cutting the grass, doing maintenance, being able to be in charge of the paint scheme and all that. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, that's one of the big differences in a condo being versus being a homeowner is the outside of the walls, the rest of the complex or community, those are pretty much taken care of by the condo association. Whereas if you're a homeowner, you're going to have a little bit more responsibility typically for the outside. So to me, that's one of those first beginning differences are, you know, what do you want to be responsible for or what freedoms do you want to have? I mean, again, we're not here to downplay homeownership. There's a lot of freedoms and a lot of great things that come with it, but you've got to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big difference for me in the condo versus home. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, there's that aspect and the trade-off for that is, Traditionally speaking, and again, speaking in a very broad average sense, most condo associations have higher HOA fees than homeowners associations. Let's, let's step back and explain the condo association to those who've never been exposed to a condo life before. So to, to Tony's point, as far as... Don't roll your eyes at me. <laughs> I, did, I, did. I saw it. To Tony's point of, you know, things being taken care of. So having the grass cut, having the snow shoveled, having, you know, everything taken care of, that, that's not just free. That there's got to be a cost that's got to be paid for some way, shape, or form. So the condo association fees are basically to pay for some of those amenities. If you have a clubhouse, if you have a pool, if you have a uh, gym or a workout area, basically any communal goods, that's what the condo association goes towards. Where the homeowners association, it may be more so, you know, trying to organize a a get-together here or there or put out a, a bulletin for everyone. Usually... Again, usually speaking, homeowner associations are much lesser than condo association fees. Are you the head of your homeowners association? Absolutely not. (laughs) Nope. 
<laughs> and you're one right. of those frugal ones, Craig. We oh, know Some of those HOAs include the community pool and bartenders and all that good stuff, too. So these are things to be mindful of. Mm -hmm. I have a funny story about an HOA. My first experience coming from condo living to uh, owning a home. I think we'd been in the house for a week, maybe, maybe even less. And I came home from the store one day and there was a woman in the corner, front corner of our yard. And we had this little sort of landscape plot with a tree and some ground. And uh, she's on her hands and knees planting flowers in in our yard. <laughs> and I parked my car and walked over and I thought, how am I going to handle this? <laughs> and I said, hi. She looked up at me, irritated, and said, hi. And I said, can I ask what you're doing? And she said, I'm <laughs> planting flowers. And I said, for whom? And she said, well, this is for the Homeowners Association. I said, this is not their property. I'm confused. Mm -hmm. I said, I don't want these flowers <laughs> in our yard. But, you know, you have to get permission to do a lot of things with some of the Homeowners Associations. And um, so you have to be aware of that. Yep. And there are fees, or excuse me, fines, if you don't do certain things certain ways within condo living as well. Oh, I don't absolutely. That's true with the HOAs. Yeah, but. they're very similar. So mm -hmm. these probably aren't the differences to mm -hmm. harp on, really. Right. But the idea is, one, that you are responsible for the outside. The other, the inside, is all yours. I think that's the key, right? Mm -hmm. Great. Mortgage calculators are available, too. You know, we kind of talked about finding out what you can afford. There's a mortgage mortgagecalculator.org is a place that you can go to kind of work the numbers to see if it's a condo or if it's a home, you know, what kind of down payment you need to put down on these on the two. Uh, let's talk about equity and, and investment potential. Tony, I know you love this this topic. Uh, yeah. I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but I want to compare the potential for sort of building equity in a condo versus a home. Uh, let's let's address that for people, because, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, a home is an investment. I hear it all the time. And when I come to work, I hear the opposite. So let's explain that. Yeah, no, I, I guess there are two different things were said there, I guess. there There's a common idea, and this might be driving some of the question, that a condo is not going to appreciate the same as a home. And when you're thinking about an investment, if you're going with traditional logic, that might be true. I'm not going to speak to that, really. That's more about the area how you maintain it, things like that. But there are those who would say a home's better than a condo for that reason. But then when you think about the idea of building equity, you know, hey, I bought my home, I put my 20% down, now the home's gone up in value, that's equity. You know, hey, it's worth a little bit more than what I borrowed to put into it. Well, at the same time, though, you can also build equity, even if you're renting, by putting money aside in your own accounts. Mm -hmm. or putting money aside in your own investments. So just the fact that you are renting doesn't mean that you're not adding to your net worth or to your plan, but it may not mean, it doesn't mean, that you're adding equity in that property. And again, I know these are nuances here a little bit, but the idea of, can I grow my wealth if I'm a renter? Yes, you certainly can. Mm -hmm. Can I go into debt more if I'm a homeowner? Sure. Do you just get that second mortgage? You got to get windows. You go on car trips. You get credit cards. You might be upside down even if you're a homeowner. So when we're talking about, you know, equity and what are the best ways to grow wealth or equity, 
what really depends you know it's so not you always step that. out of the marketing box get out and get out of it it's, and and sort of train your brain to understand that you have control over that and it's so hard i mean it's kind of like that last question too you know what about the differences in the condo versus homeowners association we're kind of programmed to ask the questions a certain way but the differences are really small or they're nuanced you know you can grow wealth if that's what you mean you can grow wealth being a renter equity you could still grow in your condo but there's so many things i feel like we're kind of coached into and that's why we're doing this trying to speak to these i'll say common myths really all right so there's a mindset out there right now because of interest interest rates being at a high uh, that throwing rent into a bottomless pit makes less sense than a home um that you're not actually that you're actually building to own so when is this not true all the time I mean, there's not a time where it's not. Uh, case in point, I mean, my wife and I, we were very fortunate. We got in at a good time in a house that we could afford. So we got in in March of 2019, right before COVID came along. And then, of course, we had the COVID market, which, again, like you had mentioned earlier, people were waiving inspections. Completely, completely insane idea. You never know what you're going to find as soon as you start poking around and poking and prodding. Um, but again, back to our example. So when we bought, we said, okay, there's a house we can afford. This is a house we're going to be here for probably the next 30 years, at least probably up until retirement. So it was something we could afford, something that we could do. Um, but as we were looking at it too, we knew that we wanted to spend time investing in it. And that's not getting a return on our investment because someone's going to view the house very differently than us. But what we were trying to more so do is how can we truly make this a place that we want and how long is it going to take for us to make it the place that we absolutely want? So we've discussed it and we've said, you know, we, we've probably got maybe one big project that we will try to do each year. So we started off by making a, a nice entertainment area for the family. Uh, we replaced the carpet in the home. We replaced the windows. I don't anticipate that that's going to add instant value if we were to go out and sell it today. But it makes us increase our enjoyment factor for the home. So we get a better rate of return on it. Is it is it um, more prudent to throw rent? I mean, rents are so high right now. Mm -hmm. Is does it make sense to throw seventeen hundred seventeen hundred dollars or more into a two bedroom apartment versus two thousand dollars into a mortgage? So sure can yeah, I was going to say so. The carpet, the home improvements, the windows I just talked about; those are not investments you're making when you're renting. In some instances, you may not even be paying for light bulbs to be replaced when you're renting. So it all comes down to where do you want to spend your money? Sorry, I cut you off there. Tom. No, you're fine. It's just we're going back to common misconceptions, really. You know, the idea of throwing away rent is such a common phrase. You're not throwing away your rent. You're paying for somewhere to live. Mm -hmm. That's the idea that so many people miss it. And again, I dare I say it's kind of generational, especially our parents' parents, the mm -hmm. idea of you've got to own something, damn it. You've mm -hmm. got to own something. Mm -hmm. No, if you are growing your wealth in other ways, maybe you own a business, maybe you're saving in your IRAs, your 401ks, you've still got to pay for somewhere to live. Mm -hmm. And even if you own a home and it's paid off, you're still going to have property taxes. Mm -hmm. You're still going to have insurance. People don't normally, I'm throwing my money away on property taxes, but you're still having to commit money to education that's not going for you or your kids, perhaps, when you're retired. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, do we call that throwing away money? 
No. So it's a mindset. It's an individual I, mindset. I think what you're so. saying. It's, and, and again, we're trying to dispel some myths here. And the best way to do is bring them up. And that's what we're doing. But the idea of, you know, you're throwing away your money if you're renting. Well, what were you going to spend if you had to live somewhere anyway? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that you're not throwing money away. You, you needed a roof over your head. All right. We're not mortgage lenders, but let's talk about uh, mortgage options. Um, let's talk about it. my question to you, personal question. Is there ever a time where there, when a variable interest rate makes sense when you are signing the documents for a 30-year mortgage? Yeah, but it's a risk just like any other instance. I mean, like the environment that we're in right now. You listen to all the people that are on TV. You listen to all the talking heads and everyone says, oh, the Fed's going to cut rates this year. Well, by the Fed cutting rates, it doesn't automatically mean that mortgage rates are going down, but it means that it is going to eventually be a reduction in rates. Now, how much or is it a point for point kind of adjustment down? No. But if you're sitting there saying, hey, I'm going to buy this house today, I'm going to plan on living here for the next 30 years, you could probably get by by getting a 7-1 arm. And the way that that works is it's saying that your rate is locked in for the first number, so in that case, the first seven years. Tell me what ARM is again. Adjustable rate mortgage. And so for the first seven years, your rate would be fixed. Then the adjustable part comes into play. So 7-1 ARM means that the first seven years it's fixed, and then every year thereafter, your rate can adjust. So if you think that rates are going to go down, now would be a good time, or that would be a good period to say, well, let me lock in a rate for a, a brief period of time, and then if rates do go down, great. If not, I at least can have an opportunity then to refinance. My that was mortgage. my next question. Okay, so are those those two actions sort of hand in hand? So a variable interest rate versus, um, I'm not saying this right. So does it make sense to refinance a fixed rate or take a variable interest rate from the very beginning? Is there an absolute? That's the fear factor. Okay. Again, for most, I'm going to say average or normal people, you don't have a lot of uplift in your income or changes in your income. You know your job. Maybe you're advancing in your career ever so slightly, but there's not some anticipated or known big jump to your income. If that's the case, an adjustable rate might scare me to death thinking right now my payments in total are, for instance, 2000 but if interest rates go up or they double, maybe now it's twenty five hundred or three thousand. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to some people here that had their one and a half or two and a quarter interest rates, and then they reset in the last two years or so. They've had a tremendous shift in their cash flow. But along the way, let's say that person was someone who knew that they were getting a windfall or knew that their income was growing. And I don't mean just hoping, but I mean knowing. Some of our Wall Street types, those kind of people, makes all kinds of sense to use an adjustable rate mortgage. You know, they're able to buy things and then use their cash somewhere else. But for most of us, it's going to make sense to have the certainty. So it sounds to me like it might be it might be important to keep the emphasis off of the percentage Mm -hmm. based on your lifestyle, based on your income and your growth in your income versus the terminology. Yeah. 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 That or family adjustments. I mean, there, there's any number of things that would adjust what we're talking about here. But yeah, if if you're looking at it very black and white, which one do I choose? Yeah. If there is upside potential in your career, upside potential in your earnings potential, then yeah, it, it would make sense to consider it at least. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, great. Uh, let's talk about the reverse mortgage. And I've seen both positive and negative play about this one. And I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this because you know, we could go for hours. But um, let me just simply ask, when is a reverse mortgage prudent? Is is it based on age? Is it based on income? Is it based on anything else? Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah, no. Again, Craig, your favorite. There's a ton of different answers here. <laughs> I mean, the idea of when does it make sense? Well, there really isn't a time that I can say makes sense. Oh, I just can. In the sense that, well, I guess <laughs> to finish, when does a car loan make sense? Well, if you already had the cash and you didn't need to have a loan for a car, why would a car loan make sense? Mm-hmm. Maybe I could do something else with my money. So when you frame a reverse mortgage in that way, I kind of think about it the same. Makes sense is so open-ended. If Depending upon your situation, you might say, you know what, that equity in that house, first thing kids are going to do is sell it if something happens to me. That might be a good scenario to say, you know what, I'm just going to do this reverse mortgage thing and leave my other assets intact. Otherwise, you might also say, look, this is a legacy of family property. If I take a mortgage out on this, the kids are going to have to pay it off first thing anyway, or my preferred heirs are going to have to pay it off. Mm -hmm. Well, then it may not make sense. So that was a long-winded way of saying our favorite, it depends, but does it make sense or not? Really depends on your goals. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say the only time that makes sense for me to even bring it up or consider it. You usually, and I say usually, but it's almost definitive, you you can't even qualify for a reverse mortgage until you're 62. So as soon as you reach 62, that's when this becomes a it depends conversation. So if you're 58 right now saying, hey, I think I want to take out a reverse mortgage. Sorry, Charlie, you're going to be out of luck. But outside of that, absolutely. Tony's points are all spot on. And, you know, again, it all really comes down to, you know, yes, what's your goal for the home? What's your goal for the heirs? And do you even need the cash flow? There, there's no sense in taking out the equity of your home and getting a monthly check if right now you're being covered by Social Security, if you're fortunate enough, your pension, your required distributions. If you have enough and you don't need to take out the equity, maybe it doesn't make sense and maybe it's not something that should be considered. Okay. Um, we talked a lot about living expenses in our business. And it sounds to me like we, we could talk about this subject, I think, for a, a lot longer than we're sitting here. So yeah, there's a ties into everything. Multi layers here. But, you know, in closing, if I were to ask each of you to give me maybe three bullet points of the most important things to consider when buying a home, what would yours be, Craig? Uh, so going through it and just kind of seeing how things happen. Uh, number one, you really have to consider what emergencies or what catastrophes at the home you want to protect. Um, so that's, again, knowing, for instance, if the pipes burst, does my insurance policy cover it? If so, how much is my deductible? If, let's say, they don't cover it, what's kind of the worst out-of-pocket expense I'd be comfortable with? There's those kind of things. So, number one, consider what kind of emergencies or what kind of catastrophes you'd want to protect. Number two, plot out what goals you have or what adjustments you plan on making to the home within the next 10 years. I know that may seem silly and we may not have that foresight, but if you're really going to go into this, everyone's tastes change. If you're building a home, you're likely going to want at minimum to redo some of the paint. That's not inexpensive. It may not be the biggest expense, but just be aware of it. Uh, And then last but not least, really think about, you know, what kind of curb appeal do I want? 
because a lot of people don't necessarily go in and think about, well, hey, I'm going to get um, annuals, you know, that are going to be my flowers. I'm going to get, you know, perennials, whatever the case may be. But a lot of time and effort and energy is going to be spent on the exterior of your home, just like on the interior. So really have an idea of what do you think is going to cost to landscape and maintain the property. Tony? Yeah, I think my three would be lifestyle, income, and then your goals. Mm-hmm. I mean, lifestyle being, are you a handy person? Are you someone who hates calling the plumber because every time you write that check, you think it's something you could have done? Maybe you're suited for homeownership. I mean, these are things that you do have a little bit of a premium built in when you're renting that, hey, you know what, if I even need the light bulb change, I could call in. But if you're handy and you want perhaps land or you want to raise chickens or you want to have a little spot that you can call your own there to camp at night, that's not possible renting normally. Or if it is possible, it's a one time or an event thing. So when you think about your lifestyle, that drives a lot of this, too. You know, how far do you want to be from work? Are you working even? And then income, if you're someone who's struggling and you don't have the income to necessarily meet meet all your goals all the time, well, then the uncertainties we brought up with home ownership, that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And then the last one there, I mean, your goals, think about it, it ties back to lifestyle. But if I want to be able to wake up in the morning and see the sunrise on the ocean, that's the goal. It's not about do I own this thing or do I rent it? The goal is I get to wake up and see the ocean. So if you're driven by your goal, you don't really care whether you own it or not. So I think all those things really play into this home ownership or housing discussion because maybe home ownership isn't for you, but you still need a place over your head or a roof over your head. Great. Thank you. So the takeaway here is to plan ahead and find a balance where you can not only enjoy your life, but set your pace to achieve the things that are important to you. And ultimately, retirement is is something that needs to be, you know, the top of the heap as far as we're concerned. If you would like some help sorting through your financial plan and learn a little bit more about how you can do things better, that's what we do. Give us a call. We would be happy to sit down with you and schedule a complimentary consultation to run through some of the things that we think maybe would be helpful, ways you could do things better. Um, we appreciate you joining us, and we hope you'll continue tuning in for more podcasts. We are managing to be wealthy. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Managing to Be Wealthy podcast. We help you make the most of your money without any hidden fees or commissions. Remember, the best investment you can make is in yourself and your financial future. Keep listening for more expert advice and tips. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. To schedule a one-hour complimentary consultation to discuss your financial concerns, visit our website, managingtobewealthy.com.